Well, good morning. My name is Dave Bachman. Excited to share with you guys today. I'm a campus minister over at Vanderbilt. Been doing that for 12 years now at Vanderbilt. And uh, really, really enjoy it. They, they let me come up here and share every now and then. Some of you all have heard me preach before. My whole family's here. I want to acknowledge that my parents are here and my sister and her kids from Germany are here. Uh, my brother-in-law is, a, uh, is an army chaplain. And it's been a very interesting time to be in the Armony in, Germ- in Germany, pretty close to all the things that are happening. So, anyway, go say hey to them as well. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to share with you guys this morning. We're still kind of introducing this new series we're doing on First Peter, uh, Faithful Living in a Foreign World. And you know, the Peter we get in First Peter, he comes across as humble. He comes across as wise, mature, but he wasn't always like that. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that. And my hope is that in this message today, we will be helped to see what Jesus did to make Peter the man and the leader that, who wrote 1 Peter. And also, how might Jesus want to do something similar in us if we are to become useful and effective tools in his hands? Let me pray for us and we'll start here. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. And for the story of this guy, Peter who many of us can relate to. God, speak to us and give us clarity about what you might want to say through this man's life. That would prepare us to receive what he says in First Peter as well. Uh, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We were made to have an impact on our world. We desire significance. We want to leave our mark. Our hearts long for it. And God put that in us. It's part of being his image bearers. We were made to have an impact on our world. And not just, not just that, but actually into eternity. But there's one uncomfortable prerequisite God has for us if we are to truly live lives of impact. And Jesus, he paints a vivid picture of it in John 12, 24. Some of you guys have heard me talk about this verse because it's really challenged me. This is what Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. When the kernel or seed falls down and goes into the earth, it dies, in a sense, from being a seed. And it transforms into a new stalk that's alive, that goes on to grow and produce many seeds. And the only thing that will, in, the, in the whole world that will keep you and I from making an imp- impact that truly matters into eternity is this one thing. It's if, if we refuse to give up our own lives. Part of my testimony is not being the guy who willingly raises his hand and says, Lord, I'll take great risks for you. I'll do whatever you say. Just tell me you know, the song, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you, whatever you tell me to say, I'll say. I've not been always the one to raise my hand and volunteer at, at, at first. My testimony is more of Jesus helping me slowly and lovingly release my grip on lower things that I could join him in the higher things that he's calling me to, opening my life up to him. And he's, he's sort of been the one who's gently and lovingly opened my hand for me to say, here I am, Lord, now, now send me. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus quite clearly helping Peter to release his grip on his own life. Peter longs to make a big impact, and Jesus offers him the opportunity to do just that. 
But before Peter can be used by God, Jesus lovingly and determinedly sets about to help Peter deny himself in order that he might more freely follow his master. Until that critical foundation is laid, denial of self, there's not much of eternal value that can be built into Peter's life. Like Peter, we were made to have an impact on our world, but the way up is down, as we'll see from Peter's life. We're going to study together the journey of this young leader through five different personal and often painful stories. And I want you to pay attention to the way Jesus intentionally sets out to make him into a leader who is useful and effective in his hands. And so five ways that Jesus helps Peter become an effective leader. A little bit about Peter before we get started into these stories. His original name was Simon. Mark mentioned some of this last week, which means hearer. It means hearer. His new name he was given was was, uh, Peter in in, in the Greek, and it means rock. We know he was married, but we know very little actually about his wife. He was a fisherman. He was partners with his brother Andrew. Uh, Andrew was uh, a disciple of, of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus. Uh, his other fishing partners were James and John, who you've heard a lot about. Peter is listed, this is interesting, first among the 12 disciples in every list in the Bible, signifying his leadership among his peers. His interactions with Jesus are prominent in the Gospels as he often is the one who speaks first in response to Jesus' questions or statements, or speaks on behalf of the 12. And these five stories, I'm going to summarize them to some degree. I'm going to share kind of a couple verses that kind of stand out from these moments. Um, But yeah, let's jump in. The first story I want to look at is Luke 5, 1 through 11. And again, these stories are going to be familiar to many of you guys. After a whole night of fishing, Peter and his fishing buddies are washing their nets when Jesus asks if he can get into Peter's boat and set out the boat a little bit from the land and preach to a large crowd that had gathered. Apparently, uh, your voice travels across water uh, much more, uh, much easier. And so this was a, a, a tactic that sometimes people would use when they were speaking to large crowds. Uh, this is what is said at that moment when, when Peter... Uh, has, has given his boat to Jesus, and Jesus has finished speaking. Luke 5, 4 through 6. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Peter had spent a majority of his life developing knowledge and skill and competency as a fisherman, having learned from his father. This was the family business. He grew up around it since he was a little boy. So throughout the night, he he applied all of this expertise, worked very hard, very long to catch fish, but came up with nothing. Peter assumes that he knows more about fishing than a carpenter turned rabbi. I get that. But he reluctantly agrees to do what Jesus says by putting out his nets one more time. And the catch of fish was so overwhelming, the text goes on to say that it sunk, it began to sink two boats. Some of y'all are picturing that scene from The Chosen, if you've seen that. It's a powerful moment. How could this be? Peter wonders. Peter was supposed to be the one who was the most 
competent at fishing? Well, Peter's response is, is, uh, is captured in Luke 5, 8 through 9. When, Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch. Peter did not feel worthy to even be in Jesus' presence. He was afraid of what this man's capabilities might be. Well, Jesus graciously tells Peter to not be afraid, that he will go on to catch more than fish. He'll catch men. The first way that I see Jesus helping Peter become an effective leader is through dismantling Peter's reliance on competency. Peter will need to learn that competency has value, but God often calls us to do things that are outside of what our knowledge and skill might suggest so that he can show off his ability. Effective leaders in the kingdom of God must learn to rely on God's competency or ability and not on their own. The stories of Peter's life are just beginning. Matthew 14, 22 through 23. It was sometime between about 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. and the disciples were fighting the waves and the wind to try and cross the Sea of Galilee after a long, full day of ministry. Jesus actually sends them on ahead of him while he goes off to sort of have some time alone with God, some time with the Father in prayer in the mountains. Well, Jesus decides to walk out onto the water and meet them, you know, as they're struggling in the boat. And they were terrified. They thought that they were seeing a ghost. Well, Jesus calls out to them and identifies himself. But it's a funny thing. Peter wants more confirmation. And so he asked Jesus to invite him to walk on the water with him. This is what's said in Matthew 14, 29 to 31. So Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So as soon as Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and focuses on the circumstances around him, he becomes afraid and begins seeking. And Jesus reaches down and grasps hold of Peter and asks him why he wavered in his faith. The second way that I see Jesus helping Peter become an effective leader is through exposing Peter's trust in circumstances. Peter will need to learn that being aware of the circumstances and environment around him is, is valuable, but we find strength and stability by focusing on God and his unchanging character. Effective leaders in the kingdom of God, they must learn to rely on God's stable character and keep their focus on him when circumstances all around them are not stable. Another story from Matthew 16, 21 through 26. Right after this shiny moment when Peter calls Jesus the Messiah, Jesus says that he will build his church on Peter's life. But then he takes this hard left turn and begins to speak about how the Messiah, the king, must suffer and die for the sins of the world. This is what it says in verse 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go on to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Jesus took him aside, sorry, and Peter took him aside 
and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Ouch. Peter's idea of a victorious Messiah king, it did not fit into Jesus' idea of a suffering servant. So he is compelled to pull Jesus aside and actually rebuke him for saying these disorienting things. He tries to control Jesus and also his own future because he had sort of jumped in with the same boat with this guy by keeping him, keeping Jesus from following his assigned destiny. Well, Jesus sternly rebukes Peter back, calling his temptation towards comfort the very words of Satan. He says Peter has his mind set on the things of man, earthly things, not on the things of God. The third way that I see Jesus helping Peter become an effective leader is through chastening Peter's desire for control. Peter will need to learn that trying to control people, trying to control circumstances to bring about the outcomes that we desire is often an unhealthy way of coping with uncertainty. Effective leaders in the kingdom of God, they must learn to rely on God's day-to-day leading and understand that his sovereign plans are best even when they don't seem to make sense or make us feel comfortable. A fourth story, Matthew 17, 1 through 8. Peter, James, and John are invited. It's a special invitation to join Jesus up on a mountain where Moses and Elijah and Jesus are sort of transfigured uh, or illuminated before them. Peter's given name Simon, remember, means hearer. Yet he's developed a reputation for doing more speaking and less listening. This is what's said in Matthew 17, 4 through 5. And Peter said to Jesus in this sort of this moment where he's seeing all these people, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I just picture that moment. I mean, God's sort of up there. Maybe the Father's watching this scene, and he's like, He's kind of biting his tongue like, man, i got to say something. This, i gotta, I got to tell Peter, just listen to Jesus, okay? And he intervenes from heaven, a voice from heaven. This is hilarious to, to, to think about. It would have been, this is the only time in, in recorded history where we, where we hear, uh, or at least in the life of Jesus, where, where the Father speaks in this moment like that, besides at, at the baptism of, uh, of Jesus as well. Interrupts from heaven. Peter seems to insert himself into the conversation that they were having, and he offers to build three tents for them to live in. And God himself interrupts from heaven, says, while he was still speaking, and declares Jesus his beloved son, whom should be listened to. Peter tends to trust his impulses and to be overconfident that his ways are best instead of taking this posture of listening to Jesus and following him. So after hearing this voice from on high, the text says Peter, James, and John were terrified. Imagine that moment. But Jesus comforts them and assures them that they have nothing to fear. A fourth way that I see Jesus helping Peter become an effective leader is through breaking Peter's confidence in his own wisdom. 
Peter will need to learn that confidence is a great asset in life, but can deceive us into acting without creating space and listening for God's leading first. Effective leaders in the kingdom of God, they must learn to rely on God's wisdom and insight more than their own perception and intellect. Here's a final story from Luke 22. This is the end of, uh, uh, or Jesus has, has died, he's resurrected. Um, he's appeared now to, to Jesus. Oh, sorry, he's appeared, Jesus has appeared now to Peter. Uh, well, I got ahead of myself. This is before Jesus dies, okay? The night that Jesus was betrayed, he's sharing some preparatory words with his disciples and tells Peter that Satan has asked to tempt the disciples to abandon their faith. But Jesus has prayed for Peter's faith not to fail. So Luke 22, 33 through 34, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So Peter declares with great courage that he's ready to face any hardship along with Jesus. But Jesus knows all things. And he predicts that Peter will deny him three times in less than 24 hours. So shortly after Jesus is arrested, Peter's sort of following at a distance in the dark to see what will happen. And by a fire in a courtyard, Peter denies knowing Jesus to a servant girl, then to another man who saw him, it said, and an hour later to another man. When the rooster crowed while he was in the act of denying Jesus the third time, it said Jesus looked at him. So he was able to see Jesus at this point. Jesus looked at him from a distance, and Peter wept bitterly. A fifth way that I see Jesus helping Peter become an effective leader is through revealing Peter's courage as fleeting. Peter will need to learn that even the most courageous among us will face fear and hardships that rattle us to the core. We cannot be so prideful to think that we will never fall. Effective leaders in the kingdom of God must learn that they have limits to their own willpower and resolve and to rely on God's grace and his strength in their weakness. Over the course of three years together, Jesus deliberately and lovingly set out to make Peter into an effective leader for the church. In summary, you probably picked up on these words. Jesus helps Peter to trust him and his resources and not trust in Peter's competency, circumstances, control, confidence, or courage. If we've, if we've learned anything in these last two years, we've learned some of these same lessons. You know, these, uh, it, it took a global pandemic that was not on anyone's radar to expose, for many of us, a trust in some of these things more than in Jesus. And these can become idols for us. We cling to them for security, for significance, only to be revealed later as wanting. They can't give us what they supposedly offer. Only Jesus can give us true security and significance. And thanks to the writers of the Gospels, we get a front row seat in watching Jesus really free Peter from thinking that these things can be trusted. Remember, Peter wants his life to count, and Jesus gives him that opportunity but the pathway is, is, is up 
the pathway up is, is actually down. You know, there was a season in my life in my mid-20s where Jesus sort of did this same undoing with me. I was a young leader. I was given the charge of starting a campus ministry to college students at Vanderbilt University. I just finished this four-year training experience by being trained by one of the best sort of campus ministry trainers around, and I was feeling very competent to do this job. I've been chomping at the bit to lead something since I graduated, and, and, and I wanted to lead all by myself, and I was feeling confident. I was feeling courage, and everything was going well for me. The ministry started up so, so well. Um, it was, things were rocking. I was getting high fives. I was getting text messages. I heard what's going on down there. Can, you know, this sounds awesome. This is the best start ever. And of course, that patted me on the back a little bit. And there was, there was a sense for me that if I just did these things, I would get these results. And it was kind of led to this false sense of control. Circumstances seemed to be lining up in my favor. I had all kinds of people just offering me opportunities and connections. And even had an old professor at Vanderbilt say, would you, would you want to come teach a class to, to students on leadership from a Christian perspective? I'm like, at Vanderbilt University, are you serious? And I'm like, sure. And, and these things were lining up, and I was just like, this is great. Everything looked, everything looked pretty good on the outside for a while, but it was not very pretty on the inside. I was living to please others. I had a very hard time saying no to anybody. I wasn't leading my family well. Lynette was home all day with two small children at the time asking for help, and I was too distracted. I wasn't connecting well with Jesus. I had sort of settled for uh, driving to campus and praying in the car and just sort of kind of doing the bare minimum. I had the weight of the world on my shoulders in my own little perspective. You know, one of the challenges of being somewhat successful at something is the pressure it takes to keep being successful. What will people think if this thing fails? It culminated with me coming home from a busy day of ministry on campus and just collapsing on my living room couch, only to experience what felt like deep or like medical exhaustion, almost paralysis. I'd never physically experienced not being able to move before, but my body just shut down. Really freaked me out, too. I was like 27 at the time. What followed was probably a panic attack, I'm not sure, and a week, uh, a fever, a week long of just sickness. Ended up in a doctor's office with them, running kind of, with them running all kinds of tests on me, only to discover that the doctor's remedy for my sad situation was to change my pace of life, change my habits, change the way I was doing my life. There was nothing sort of wrong with my iron levels or different things like that. So I entered into that point at a, uh, into sort of a two- to three-year recovery process of sorts that included uh, some major lessons that I had to learn. And this is sort of Jesus lovingly teaching me some of these things. I had to learn to listen to Jesus for my identity and not what others might say about me. I had to l- learn to rely on his leading in my life and his strength and not to run out ahead of him to do things that he was never asking me to do. And namely, I had to learn to admit my, my, my weaknesses and my limits. It allowed me to grow in humility, and then Jesus ended up in the spotlight instead of, instead of me. Jesus was very patient with me and gracious with me during that season, and I'm very, very grateful. He was after my freedom. I was sort of like, what's happening, God? You know, why is this? 
He was after my freedom. You know, after the resurrection in John 21, 17 through 18, we see Jesus graciously reaffirming Peter as the one that he wants to use to lead the church. Here's what he says in John 21, 17 through 18. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now that these other things that Peter might grab onto had been dismantled, and he loved Jesus the most, and he saw the treasure of Jesus, Peter can be useful in the hands of God to shepherd his sheep. As we know from passages like Acts 4.13, Peter goes on to become a God-dependent an effective leader in the church. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Everyone wants their life to count, but the way up is down. And we will see throughout the book of 1 Peter, this wisdom shared by Peter is certainly from above. But also much of this wisdom has been learned by Peter through the school of hard knocks. Notice what he says in the last chapter of 1 Peter as sort of a summary, I I, I see it as, of what he had to learn from Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for not casting us aside when we fail, but lovingly teaching us to rely on you for life and for leadership. God, we pray that you would humble us. Humble us, Lord. Do whatever it takes to bring us to the point where we would say, that you must become more and we must become less. We thank you, God, for your grace as part of each of our stories. And we pray that you would have your way in every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.